Shop Jermaine Ford of Beaver Creek minutes away with an experience miles above. Delivering the right car, the right price, the right way. Come see why more are choosing Jermaine Ford. Just off of 35 east of 675, Jermaine Ford of Beaver Creek. Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast with WHIO meteorologist McCall Rydags and Kirsty Zontini, brought to you by Jermaine Ford and Beaver Creek. Remember, you can listen to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast anytime you want on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and WHIO.com. Thank you for joining us on Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast. I'm meteorologist McCall Rydags. Today, we will not have meteorologist Kirsty Zontini. That's right. Kirsty did have her baby, her little baby girl, yesterday morning, and she is just so happy. Mommy and baby are healthy. I'm going to leave her to giving all the details. Um, it is very fresh, so she will be posting updates on her social media account. Make sure you check out uh, her Facebook page, meteorologist Kirsty Zantini, also her Twitter account. Not sure if she'll be posting anything on Instagram, but uh, she will have updates likely in the next few days. By the time you're listening to this podcast, she may have already posted some stuff. But I just wanted to give you an update that she is okay, happy, healthy, and little baby girl is here. Now, Kirsty and I had this uh, podcast episode set up before little baby decided to arrive. But I wanted to go ahead and keep our conversation with our guest on schedule because it is a very interesting conversation. And I am just delighted to have this guest on today. Here's a little introduction of... Of who we have on. His name is Ryan Flyman. And Ryan, I'm sorry if I'm saying your last name wrong. I'll have you correct me in a few moments if I am. Um, but for starters, he's a hydrometeorologist for the Ohio River Forecast Center with the National Weather Service. He knows Kirsty because they both went to Ohio University. Uh, after Ohio University, Ryan went on to receive his master's degree at the University of Arizona in Tucson. He's worked at the National Weather Offices in Tucson, Arizona, Spokane, Washington, and now in the Wilmington office here in Ohio. His office is in charge of the river forecasting for the Ohio River Valley, and he's also a certified incident meteorologist. That is a mouthful, and Ryan is here to explain what that is and really in detail what it is that you do. Hello, Ryan. Yeah, hello, hello. And Ryan, did I get your last name right? Well, you were close. It's uh, it's it's Fleeman. Fleeman. You know, I was saying it, and I was thinking, it's probably a little different. But I get it, because Vrydags, when you look at it, it's just, you know. You, people don't know how to pronounce it. I have to tell them all the time. It's like saying fried eggs, but with a V. <laughs> we'll, we'll say A for effort. Okay, thank you. So, Ryan, first of all, let's talk about actually how you know Kirsty. So, I see you went to the same college, but did you guys know each other when you went to college? So, so Kirsty and I, we both went to Ohio University in Athens, uh, both did uh, the weather thing, so we were both in meteorology, and um, yeah, I was, uh, I was a couple years uh, ahead of Kirsty uh, in, in, at OU, um, but we actually met each other. Um, I was actually a TA for one of uh, the, her professors, so we'd, uh, we had met, I was a TA, and she was in the, I think it was climatology course, so we knew each other. And through various uh, club organizations and stuff, we, we, we knew each other um, um, well before um, we met up again at the uh, uh, weather symposium there a couple months ago. So, yeah, we've known each other for 
uh, quite a while. So did you always know you wanted to get into weather? And you're in more of a specialty side of weather, but when you were younger, did you have a passion for it already? Yeah, a lot of people, you know, they say they they have the story. They knew they wanted to do weather when they were four years old <laughs> and they were out in the backyard watching stuff. And I, I didn't fit that mold. It was more of a thing. I I got interested in it a little bit when I was probably in my teens and then uh, went to college not exactly knowing what I wanted to do, but um, actually started weather knowing that if I didn't like it, I could transfer to engineering easy enough just right. because a lot of the prereqs were the same. So I didn't fit the bill. I just never transferred out of it when I was in college and stuck with it and um, r- really enjoyed it and, and loved my career now and have seen a lot of stuff that I wouldn't would not have seen had I uh, did something different. So definitely happy that I stuck with it. Yeah, obviously there is a passion there that maybe you just didn't tap into when you were younger. I have a similar story to that as well because I, I wasn't in, uh, really into weather probably until high school and maybe um, until I really got into college. Kind of like you, I uh, I had a different passion, You maybe not uh, broadcasting, but I, I loved the stage and the theater. But it was in my high school years that science really came to me and I realized I enjoyed it and I was actually good at it and kind of decided to take that path. All turned out very well. So after Ohio University, you went on to get your master's. Can you talk a little bit about that and, um, and the training and things after uh, your master's degree? Sure. So, um, yeah, you had it correct. I did, um, after uh, graduating from Ohio University, I did um, I did go to uh, the University of Arizona in Tucson, Arizona, and uh, specialized in hydrometeorology. Um, they were the first accredited school um, to receive, a, a, I guess, accreditation for hydrometeorology. So with that, I, I was able to not only focus on the weather field, but also uh, tap into a little bit of the uh, hydrology field as well. They were they're actually one of the best in the nation for for both programs, and so um, having the insight and working with the great professors and the staff at the university uh, really diversified my field and um, and allowed me to get the education that I would need to to further pursue um, what I wanted to do um, while I was at Arizona. Um, I applied for a student intern job that was at the uh, National Weather Service office in Tucson and was able to uh, able to get an offer for that. And so I worked as a student intern in Tucson for about a year or a year and change um, before being offered a full-time position um, that was up in Spokane, Washington. Um, so, so, I mean, I grew up in southeast Ohio and never really left the state until I decided I wanted to go to grad school. And then once I did leave the state, boy, I traveled all over the place. Uh, I went from the, the desert southwest to the Pacific northwest and then uh, made my return trip back here to Ohio about four years ago um, when I came back to the River Center here. So, um, I mean, definitely the education that I received both at, at Ohio University in Arizona uh, allowed me to excel in my career, and picking up the hydro thing uh, was probably one of the best decisions I ever made because, I mean, that's what I do. Uh, the vast majority of my job here is, is hydrology-based, so having that, that background definitely um, definitely made it a little bit easier to go from strictly the weather field to more of a weather and water uh, uh, area that I'm in right now. 
Well, so we're not talking over anybody's heads. I know what a hydrometeorologist is, but our listeners may not know what that is and how it differentiates itself from meteorologists and the other weather fields. Can you explain uh, on a basic level what a hydrometeorologist is and what is your specialty? Sure. So, so a lot of times um, when, when we think of meteorologists, obviously we think of just the, the weather field. Um, generally, I mean, a lot of times what, what the viewers are going to see when they think of meteorologists is, is your position, um, is your job of delivering the weather. Uh, with hydrometeorology, we add another, I guess, dimension to that is we're still dealing with the water or we're still dealing with the weather. Um, now, granted, we may do it a little bit different than you. We don't have the public attention, um, so we, we, um, I guess, we don't have the public to to deliver the message to. But we're able to th- to dig into the science a little bit more um, with that. But when we add the kind of the water aspect to it, it's not only like once the water hits the ground. A lot of times, the the weather kind of backs off a little bit. But in the water field, that's kind of where we pick up is. Uh, what happens to the water once it reaches the ground? How does it go from point A to point B? Uh, what's the response to the type of rain? Um, so, so we kind of we add another dimension to that, and then take that water, figure out one how it's going to impact um, society as a whole. That being industry, um, the general public, um, commerce, and, and things of that nature. How it affects them, whether it be both high water. And in some cases, when we get into kind of low water situations, how it's going to affect uh, basically how kind of the country revolves around it. So, so I mean, it's, it's a lot of the same when we deal with the weather. It's just adding that next dimension to it of what happens to the water once it's on the ground. Well, we just got some data and information in from NOAA that said it's been the wettest 12-month period of all time as of the end of May. How has that impacted the rivers here in the Ohio River Valley? You know, we've, we've had our rounds of flooding, and I mean, in various areas of the state, we've had different levels of flooding. Um, I mean, the, the interest, interesting thing about it is we really haven't had like that like knock your socks off type of flooding, but uh, I mean, people paying attention to it. I mean, our our rivers have just been elevated uh, above what would be a climatological normal mm-hmm. for a prolonged period of time. If we think about like the Ohio River at Cincinnati, I mean, it it hasn't been back to a, a what we call a normal level for I mean eight nine months. Mm. Uh, we've been well above normal, and and most of the rivers around the region especially if we think about Ohio as a whole, um, have been in that same state. So really we haven't had, luckily, we've had elevated flows, but we really haven't had that huge, huge flooding like we've seen at certain times. So, yeah, there's no doubt about it that we've been been wet beyond belief. I know some of the stats we've seen is the rainfall was almost double what's normal. Mm -hmm. But the good thing with that rainfall is it's kind of been spread out over a prolonged period of time. We think of last summer, we could hardly ever get the grass mowed. It was so wet. Right. Um, but it's been spread out. So while it has been wet, I think we've almost dodged a bullet, perhaps, mm. saying that, that we haven't had the knock-your-socks-off flooding. Yeah, it's uh, creating a lot of issues for farming because the ground just continually stays saturated. We don't have enough dry time in between. Uh, but like you said, as far as the rivers are concerned, frequency with lower amounts of rain isn't going to impact our rivers 
too terribly. It is keeping the levels up higher than normal, but it's those big, heavy rainstorms where we see that uh, swell of the rivers that's usually 24 to 48 hours after that big event. So fortunately, we haven't seen that yet. Hopefully, we don't see anything like that this summer. I'm not sure if you can speak to this or not. I'm not sure if this goes into your field, but because of the frequency of rainfall and the fact that we haven't had any crops really put into the ground, is there any concern that um, we're going to have some erosion and some added toxins into our rivers? You know, that's it's an area that that our office is kind of getting into a little bit. We um, we work with the ag industry um, a little bit with the Ohio the Ohio State University Extension offices, um, and and for the the grant the large scale area, um, a lot of the farmers have actually found time to get crops in the ground. The bigger areas that are struggling is is definitely northern Ohio mm-hmm. in various places. The soils don't drain as well. Um, and they haven't been able to to deal with that as much. Um, the idea of of say phosphates or whatever mm-hmm. into the runoff systems that's definitely a concern in these areas that applied and then did get did get the rain. It sometimes leads to to the harmful algal blooms or what some people call HABs. Um, we saw that in the uh, the Toledo area there a few years ago in Lake Erie. And that's definitely a continued uh, concern this year. Um, the idea of cover crops, I don't know. I, I, I think that they'll have to try to do something with cover crops. I don't know how successful they're going to be. And um, from, the, from an agricultural standpoint, it's not really my expertise right. mm-hmm. um, as, to, as to what it is. Obviously, getting a cover crop on as we come into the convective, uh, more heavy uh, heavy rainfall um, over a short period of time is erosion is definitely a concern, um, and I'm sure just based on the experience of a lot of these farmers that that's already in the back of their mind as to trying to mitigate um, or do what they can to try to decrease uh, the erosion that could potentially happen. At the levels that our uh, rivers are sitting right now, like you said, a, a blockbuster event. But is there like a kind of number or threshold in your mind of, oh, if we saw a storm that brought us three inches of rain widespread, that's going to be a really big deal? I think, I don't know that it's so much as the, if we label kind of like how much rain we get, it's going to be kind of the intensity of the of the rain. I mean, if we were to pick up, uh, we'll say two inches of rain in an hour, that's going to be significantly more impactful on an erosion control than maybe seeing five inches over five days. Mm-hmm. Um, so putting a precise number on it, I don't know if that's the, maybe the, probably the best way to do it. It's more of how the intensity, how, how quick are we getting that volume of rain that really is what leads to, to the erosional issues and where, more of what we would call more of like a flash flood style mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. rainfall event versus maybe more of a, a multi-day sort of light to moderate rain, which to a lot of farmers, as long as they have their crops in the ground, that light to moderate rain, they're going to love it. Right. Whereas uh, that that heavy intensity, especially now with still just seed in the ground and very kind of small crops that aren't rooted in very well, the the heavier rain may may lead to to some problems. Um, I know it's not our area, but... uh... You know, it's been in the news, the Missouri and Mississippi rivers, and how much water they took on and, and the massive flooding down there. Have you been following that at all? 
We do. Um, we follow it a little bit simply because um, when we look at the greater Mississippi River Basin, the Ohio is one of the main contributors uh, um, to the lower Mississippi. Um, luckily, when we were pushing our big flows out, the bottom of the Ohio was in the, the February to early March time frame when most all the water in the Mississippi system was still frozen uh, as snow, snowpack up in kind of like the Minnesota, the Dakotas, and then even down into Iowa and, and Nebraska. So when we were when we were pushing all our water out, all theirs was frozen. And now actually, we've got pretty. I wouldn't. We're still above normal with flows, but in in comparison to what they're pushing out of the Missouri River and also the Upper Mississippi, we're we're uh, very low as far as volume contributed. So we keep an eye on that simply because we have partners right. with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, with FEMA. Uh, the Coast Guard and stuff like that are, that are very aware and, and the need to know of what's going on. So we keep an eye on it. Um, every once in a while, our office will send um, people to other offices to help support them if they've been busy for a prolonged period of time. So we're actually uh, sending people from our office to other offices uh, further west and northwest to to kind of help supplement their staff when they're as busy as they are right now. That makes sense. And and I think that speaks to the weather service and how it is a uh, teamwork uh, office across the entire country that you guys are all working with each other hand in hand. Um, speaking of the fact that you have been across the country, I want to hear a little bit about uh, the different climates and those hydrometeorology uh, situations that you saw in Arizona as compared to Washington to Ohio. How did they differ from each other? A lot of times, we obviously, Arizona is the, definitely the desert climate um, to where I think they average, Tucson averaged about 12 inches of rain a year when in comparison we look to what we get here in southwest Ohio is about 40. Mm. Um, so it was definitely a, a different climate, the desert climate. What was unique down there was um, how kind of the monsoon season or what they deem the monsoon season uh, changes the rainfall patterns. And basically all it is is a simple shift in the wind. Um, as to basically where your flow or your moisture pattern comes from. Routinely, they come out of the west, which comes off the Pacific and doesn't have a lot of moisture with it. But when they enter the monsoon season, basically they come right up the spine of Mexico, um, and, and they bring a lot of that sometimes gulf and then lower Pacific moisture up and in, leading to a lot of thunderstorms. Um, with that, you get the, the heavy rains, um, and a lot of times those the what they they term the haboobs, where the giant dust clouds that mm -hmm. roll into Phoenix, um, and some of the incredible scenes of flash flooding that you see sometimes come from the desert southwest simply because the soils aren't able to take the water as well down there as what we may see here. Um, so that was definitely different from what we're used to here. It's, it's just the change from dry, dry, dry to, to these thunderstorms that are the the rainfall that they put down is just incredible. Um, moving to the northwest, I mean, we were dealing with um, snow. Some areas we would have that would get um, sometimes three to 500 inches of snow a year up in the mountaintops, um, which, I mean, the, the systems that roll off the Pacific just dump huge amounts of snow. Mm. Um, so dealing with that, and then when those decide they actually want to melt out in the spring, dealing with the spring melt um, led to some definitely some interesting times when it came to flooding. 
uh, and stuff like that. And as well, once out there, we had uh, we we're right in the heart of wildfire country. Right. And so how how the wildfires would modify uh, the soils and ultimately the runoff characteristics of the rainfall um, could lead to pretty significant flash flooding too. So definitely. The different areas I've been to, and, and I mean, we all know the rainfall patterns around here. We get thunderstorms. We get occasional snow, but nothing like what we saw in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely a variety when you jump from kind of climate regime to climate regime. Um, night and day difference, that's for sure. Which would you say is the most challenging? Before you answer, I would probably say the Pacific Northwest because forecasting the amount of snow melt and, of course, the technology really isn't there to know those systems coming in off of the Pacific would you say that that was the most challenging for you? It it probably was the most challenging, just because I mean, the the you nailed it. The snow forecasting precise snow amounts is, is very very difficult, especially when you get into the mountain the mountain uh, topography and everything like that, to where it was nothing for a storm to dump four to five feet in the mountaintops, and trying to pin down a number on that is just it's it's very difficult. Um, and then, I mean, with summer thunderstorms, we would get summer thunderstorms out there, but it wasn't most of the time here when we say, yeah, there's going to be thunderstorms in the area, there are thunderstorms. Right. Out there, it was, there might be thunderstorms. <laughs> and, I mean, a lot of the times, it, it was a bust to where yeah. the storms just wouldn't form, or you would get storms, but they would produce no rain and basically bring dry lightning, um, which was another problem. But... Definitely, I would say out there was the most challenging, and it, and it wasn't from the perspective of how strong are the storms going to be. Mm-hmm. It was a perspective of, well, are the storms actually going to happen? Right, yeah. So it, the, the Pac Northwest was, probably, was definitely the most challenging, but it was also the most rewarding at the same time. Yeah. Well, so. we're glad that you're back home uh, where you <laughs> love. Now, I know that the Weather Service has a website where you can – read up on river forecasts and things like that. Can you speak to that? So anybody that's listening locally or across the country, how they can get some information on their local rivers? Sure. Um, so, so there's the national website. Um, it's, it starts out as AHPS, A-H-P-S, Advanced Hydrologic Predictive System. Um, and basically what that is, it takes um, all the river forecast centers, uh, forecasts, and basically compiles them on one map. It's on web, uh, water.weather.gov, um, and, and that's going to show a map for the, for the whole area. Um, and then from there, you can kind of click on your area of interest, and it's going to show you, uh, you're able to find the forecast uh, for the specific area that you're interested in. I mean, as of late, we've basically seen on the giant map all the flooding in the Midwest that everybody, I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen it on the news. Uh, it's lit up like a Christmas tree. Um so it's interesting to look at just from the the kind of the national perspective of how grand this flooding has been and how much of the country it actually encompasses. It's it's pretty incredible actually how much of the country itself is 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 in some sort of flood status. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got you come down to the regional level and you would see <clears throat> you could go to our River Forecast Center page, which would be the River Forecast Center that serves the Dayton area, all of Ohio. And then we cover clear down into Tennessee, over into uh, Illinois, parts of Pennsylvania, West Virginia. Um, so that's the Ohio River Forecast Center. 
And so that would just encompass those areas. And then you can actually go down to the level of a weather forecast office, which for the Dayton area would be the Wilmington Weather Office here that we're co-located with. And it would show a map basically of the areas that they serve. Um, so there's multiple levels of, of, I guess, viewing, you could say, whether you want to go from the national or clear down to your kind of your regional mm-hmm. uh, um, look. So that's awesome. definitely a lot to take in. Yeah, and um, I know that the Weather Service is very active on social media. Do you guys have a separate social media account for Facebook or Twitter? Uh, we do. Um, it's just under the Ohio River Forecast Center. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times we don't get near the public eye that a, that a weather forecast office would get. Um, a lot of times our products are passed on to the weather forecast office, and then they kind of connect more with their users. They have a lot more users than us, or right. a lot more a lot more followers. Uh, let's face it, weather's more exciting than water anyway. So they get <laughs> they get a lot they get a lot of followers uh, that way. But but the, they basically pass along the same message that we would post. Um, mm-hmm. They're more point point specific towards their stuff. So. So I guess as far as social media would go, a lot of times I would default to the local weather office. They're fantastic with their pages, and they do they do a great job. That's awesome. Ryan, I'm going to wrap this up. Is there anything that we did not talk about that you are itching or burning to tell us? I, you know, I, I just think it's um, the idea of the weather service as a whole, man. We work as a giant team. We're a big family. Um, and, and I mean, the main goal for the Weather Service definitely is is the protection of life and property um, in any way possible that we can do it. A lot of times we'll bend over backwards just to to make sure that the mission is met, um, whether it be long days or or being away from our family for prolonged periods of time. Um, that's just the goal of the Weather Service. We just want to see see everybody as as safe as possible when it comes to a, a weather perspective and. Um, and that definitely is, is the goal of, of every meteorologist and staff support people at the Weather Service. So just just that idea of everybody being weather savvy and being weather safe is, is definitely the main goal uh, of every person that I've ever worked with. Well, thank you, Ryan, so much for coming on, especially because it was, uh, you know, expected to have Kirsty here. You knew her. She would be a familiar voice. Um, but I really enjoyed our conversation because I learned a lot. I'm sure Kirsty knew much more just from chatting with you. But this was a learning experience for me as well. So thank you so much for being our guest this uh, podcast. Yeah, you're certainly welcome. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and uh, would be willing to do it anytime. It was a good time. Uh, for sure. If we have any flooding, river flooding, you're going to be getting a phone call from me. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. All right. Thank you, Ryan. All right. You're welcome. Ryan was such a great guest. I'm so happy that he came on to chat with us this afternoon. He will be back on this summer. We're going to talk a little bit more about him being an incident meteorologist and how that parlays into wildfires. We are entering wildfire season. We've already seen a couple of fires uh, developing out in California. He'll come back on once we start to get in more of that intense part of the year and explain how he has been 
put right in the middle of those fires to help out as a meteorologist, as a hydrometeorologist. And it's a really interesting perspective. Also, we'll have a couple people on from the Red Cross, hopefully, to discuss how they help out during wildfire season as well. As always, thank you for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast. You can listen to it on your Apple iPhone on the podcast app. All you have to do is hit that little app button and search Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast. Our photos will pop up right there. Download, listen, subscribe, write a comment, rate us. We do read them. Uh, Kirsty will be back in three months to give us a, a little update on what she's been up to. Hopefully we'll be able to chat with her before then. Maybe we'll get her to do some phoners with us and see how mom life is going. If you don't have an Apple phone, but you have an Android or another device, you can uh, listen to Cloudy with a Pat, uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast on Stitcher and Google Play as well. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.